0: come from uh, I did not know but uh, we had the service last Thursday here we had actually a worship service it was a wonderful worship service as we celebrated the life of a and the life that God lived through her and I always knew that a had a little bit different accent than most of us and I didn't realize she came from Illinois uh, Minnesota I knew it was one of those northern states up there but that's close Minnesota Minnesota Minnesota. And there was always something different about her accent. And uh, I didn't, didn't realize, you know, you hate to ask people about their accents. Did you know that people from Oklahoma have accents? No. They do, Mark. They have accents. Uh, case in point a man from Oklahoma City had a flat tire in Wichita on Fifth Street, pulled over in the right hand lane just in front of the bank. And proceeded to put a bouquet of flowers in front of the car and another behind it. Then he got back into the car to wait. A passerby from Wichita studied the scene and and, uh, was somewhat curious. So he turned around and went back to where the car was stopped. And he got out of his car, walked over to the parked vehicle, tapped onto the window and asked the fellow what the problem was. The man rolled down his window and replied, I have a flat tire and I'm waiting for help. The passerby asked, but what's with the flowers? The man responded, when you break down, they tell you to put flowers in the front and flowers in the back. I never did understand that neither. You know, there's sometimes something missed in the translation, and Jesus wants to make sure that when he addresses his disciples in Matthew chapter 10, that there's no misrepresentation or misunderstanding because he lays specifically out exactly what he is requiring and requesting of his disciples. And I think sometimes we misunderstand or maybe misrepresent what Jesus is requiring and requesting of those of us who are his disciples. For Jesus is sending out those 12 that he has selected as missionaries into the mission field to have a harvest of souls for the kingdom. Don't misrepresent or misunderstand what Jesus is saying here. Every single one of us who are disciples of Christ are missionaries on a mission field with a message that God has given us and there's a harvest awaiting our arrival and the reaping that God has already ordained for those of us who will answer the call of discipleship and of missions. You are God's best missionary on the mission field that he has given you with a message of the gospel of Christ. Never underestimate your importance or the impact that you can have for the kingdom. You say, well, I'm not the pastor. I'm not a deacon. I'm not good at Bible study. I'm not a life group leader. That's no excuse because today we are going to see that God gives every disciple a divine assurance that those of us who labor in the harvest field will reap a harvest of souls. There is a divine assurance, let me say it again, for those who labor in the harvest field, irregardless of whether you think that you're talented or gifted or not, you are. Or maybe it's not based upon your title or your position in the church or the importance that others have placed upon you because if you will labor in the harvest field, God guarantees, he assures us that there will be a harvest. So far, Jesus in chapter 10 of the book of Matthew that we've been studying for several Sundays has told his disciples that he is going to send them out. And he's sending them out into a conflictual world, a world in which as they are broadcasting the message, they're going to be in direct conflict with, there's going to be a war zone, so to speak, between the spiritual forces of God and the satanic forces of this world. And in that conflict, there's going to be persecution, there's going to be trial, there's going to be hardship and even death for many. And he says to them, do not let fear control your broadcasting or your mission in taking the message out into the harvest field that I'm calling you into don't let fear dominate that just go out and begin to sow the seed and proclaim the gospel and preach the kingdom of heaven is near and do what I'm telling you don't let fear dictate and determine your obedience to that calling and then he says to them if you're not careful you'll not measure up to the standards of discipleship. For he said last week, we need to rethink what it means to be a disciple. We must be willing to die. We must be willing to take up the cross and follow Christ. For Christ Himself was willing to die on a cross, and we are his disciples, must also be willing to die to this life so that we might inherit the life to come. For he says to the disciples last week in that last verse that we dealt with, unless you're willing to die, you will not live. For if you hold on to this life too long or too much. You won't be able to inherit what I have promised you or what I want you to have. And so he lays out for us this whole concept of discipleship, but he's sending them out. And this is somewhat a wrapping up, a conclusion of class, so to speak, in Matthew chapter 10, where he is assuring these disciples that as they're going out, and they may have hardship and difficulty and and pain, and they may even die for the cause of Christ. He guarantees, he assures them that there will be a harvest if they will labor in the harvest field for Christ. So what are the five assurances of this harvest field? What are the five assurances that he gives us for those who labor, those of us who are his disciples? Promise or assurance number one. Let's look at the text. There's a purpose. There's a purpose to the harvest. He assures us that there is a purpose for sending them out, for sending us out. And he defines that purpose four different times in four different ways. He says in verse 40, whosoever, whosoever. He says in verse 41, the one who receives, notice the one, not the one whosoever only but the one and then again later on in that verse he said and the one who receives again he references the one and in verse 42 he says and whoever so he's talking about the whosoever the one and the whoever and he's going back to the very beginning of Matthew chapter 10 and he's reminding his disciples he's sort of returns back to the primary focus for which he is sending them out and he is sending them out into the mission field, into the harvest so that whosoever receives, for the one who receives, for the whoever receives. As I took a look at this, I sort of scratched my head and got to thinking about, you know, there's been times in my life when I've done a pretty good amount of of fishing. I was with Al and Vic the other day and he has a boat that looks like it's been through World War Three it's a very small pontoons type boat he's from Louisiana I know where those kind of boats come from but and he loves to fish how many love to fish how many of you are liars when you fish? How many liars? You know, you're not a good fisherman unless you lie. There's a commercial about a guy who's telling a, a fish story, I don't know if you've seen it, and he talks about this big gigantic fish, and then the guy holds it up in the end and says a little bitty thing about this big, you know, and he says put it away. But anyway, you you've not seen it? Okay. So remember when Jesus called the disciples in Matthew chapter four? When he extended them a call, he was walking along the seashore and he turned to the guys who were out on the boat and he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. They were fishers of fish and he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So he's calling them to be fishers of men and he is now setting the stage to send them out on a fishing expedition, their very first one, and the objective and the purpose is for the whosoever. In other words, they don't know who the one is, but they are to cast the gospel. They are to broadcast the gospel. They are to proclaim the gospel like someone who is sowing seed for the whosoever. The Bible says in John 6 that Jesus knows who the whosoever is even before they do. He knows who's going to receive and he knows who's going to reject him, but they don't. And so they are commanded to go out and to cast it among the whosoever's. And there's times, I think, in which he has called us to be his missionaries on the mission field to sow the seed, to broadcast the gospel, to declare the message of the kingdom of heaven is at hand, not knowing who it is that's going to receive, but we are commanded to continue to cast it out for the whosoevers, for we do not know who they are and who they aren't. And so we must continue to broadcast and to cast for the whosoevers. But notice he says, not just continue to do that for the whosoever's, but for the one who receives. The one who receives. It says it twice, the one. Because as you cast it out For the whosoever's There's this one and that one And this one and that one And him and her And him and her And there are single individual people As we cast it out among the whosoever's One by one They will put their faith and trust in Christ And receive him as their savior And their lord That's the purpose Of discipleship I think we often have a confusion About the Misunderstanding about the whole concept of discipleship. For we think discipleship is all about us, but discipleship is about the going. For he did not call these men to do anything other than to become fishers of men. And a disciple doesn't have the option except to go out into the world that he has called us to live in and to join him on the fishing expedition and continue to broadcast, to live out, to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom in the world that we live for the whosoevers and knowing At some point, as we continue to broadcast among the whosoever's, there will be this one and that one and this one and that one who will receive the message and place their faith in the Messiah as their Savior and Lord. That's the purpose for why we do church. I think sometimes we have a tendency to forget that the purpose of what we do here is not all about us. It's not all for us. It's all about him and unto him, but also it's for the purpose. Matthew 28 to do what? He gave the commission to the church to go and make disciples. That's the great commission, to make disciples. And if we are going to answer the great commission, there must be a great Compassion for those as we sow the, 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 for the whosoever so that this one and that one and this one and that one and this one and that one, one at a time, they come to faith in Christ, put their trust in him, and join us in the greatest fishing expedition of all time, a mission of redemption. For without Jesus Christ, they were eternally damned and doomed. Without him. There's a purpose. Not only is there a purpose, but there's a prerequisite. There's a requirement. a requirement or prerequisite for the harvest Notice in verse 40 There are two places where he talks about it In verse 40 he said whoever receives you Whoever receives me Then he talks about the one Who receives in verse 41 Again the one who receives And down to verse 42 Whoever gives Now the word gives is different than receives But the same concept is here In the fact that they are welcoming Those who are bringing the message And in welcoming them And inviting them and ministering to them and giving to them, they're in fact receiving the messenger and receiving the message and receiving Jesus. So we look at the word receive, it's mentioned four times in this passage, receive. The prerequisite for a harvest is that men and women, boys and girls, this one and that one, and this one and that one, must individually, they must personally receive Jesus as their Savior and commit to him the leadership and the lordship of their lives. They must have a new birth experience. They must be reborn. They must receive the kingdom Of heaven. They must receive Jesus. And he's sending out his disciples with the prerequisite in order for you to harvest souls in this harvest field in preparation for the kingdom, they must receive me as their as, as their savior and as their Lord. For without receiving me, they can't be a part of the harvest. We're not collecting members, we're not collecting life group attendees we're not trying to build a large attendance and a service what we're doing is we are seeking to throw out the gospel to broadcast the gospel so that men and women boys and girls this one and that one this one that one can receive Jesus as their savior and as their lord and unless they do that they cannot be a part of the kingdom Jesus said I am the way the truth and life no man comes to the father except through me How are you going to have abundant life and eternal life apart from Christ? You can't. So the prerequisite is to put your faith and trust in Jesus. Sure, there are are many who would want us to be convinced that there are many ways to heaven. Or that we're all climbing the same mountain for the same ultimate purpose, just on different sides of that mountain. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And unless you receive me as your savior and commit to my leadership and lordship of your life, you will not and cannot be saved. That's the prerequisite. And so we see in John 1:12, but to all who did receive him, Those who believed in his name, it is to them that he gave the inheritance to be children of God. In Acts chapter 2, after the Holy Spirit fell upon those in Pentecost and Simon Peter was preaching to the thousands that were gathered there. The Bible says at the end of chapter 2, at the end of that message, when he got through preaching, those who were there received his message and they were baptized. And on that day, somewhere around 3,000 were baptized and were saved. Why? Because they received the messenger, they received the message, which meant they received the Messiah and they were baptized and they were saved. It requires a receptivity. Jesus in Matthew 10, 14, we've already studied. When he sent them out, he said, some are going to reject you. And because they're going to reject you, they're going to reject me. But here he says, if they receive you, they must and they will receive me. For in receiving you, in receiving the message, they receive the Messiah and they will be saved. So the prerequisite is to receive. It's simply pretty easy. Somebody hands something out and you take it. You possess it. It becomes yours And unless you reach out and receive it Unless you take it Unless you welcome it Unless you invite him in You've not received him and So that's the prerequisite Not only is there a, a purpose and a prerequisite But there's a plan There's an assurance from Jesus about a specific plan What is his plan? Well we could go in the plan of the gospel But I want to point to the plan of using people like you and like me In the, in the sovereign purpose and plan of God, he purposed and planned from the very foundation of the world to use people like you and like me to fulfill this mission of redemption. Notice he says in the text as he's speaking to the apostles, if they receive you. You, the apostles, you, the 12 that I have selected. He's speaking specifically to these 12. If they receive you, they have received me. My plan, guys, when I first called you on that seashore in Galilee, when I said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men, I'm about to fulfill that purpose and and that plan that I had. It is my plan all along to use you, these 12, to send out to be a part of the mission of redemption. I don't understand why he chooses people, but he does. I mean, we're, we're fragile, we're, we're frail, we're imperfect We mess up We're hot and we're cold I don't know about you, but I'm like that Are you like that? Oh, wait a minute, you're like that, I'm not, I'm perfect I'm just kidding, if you're a guest that's, that's a joke here, if you're one of our family members I am not perfect, and neither are you But he decided he would use us That's been his plan the whole time And like the disciples, when he plucked you out of your lostness, you were minding your own business, doing your own thing, headed straight to hell, when he plucked you out and said, follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. And he meant that and he intended to do that when he saved you just like these 12. Been a part of his purpose and plan the whole time? To use you, that's the plan. But notice in the passage in verse 41, he says, whoever receives a prophet, there's some of us who do have a position of prophet. A prophet is simply some, someone who proclaims or who broadcasts the truth. They get the message directly from God. And these, these 12, and you and I, like the 12, are being sent out with a message that we didn't invent. We didn't make it up. We didn't decide that this was a, a message of our own doing. Where do we get the message that we have? From the word of God. From the Spirit of God. It is God's truth. And so we are prophets who are proclaiming the truth of God. Not only receive it from a prophet, but notice receiving it from a righteous person. Who in there fulfills that qualifications here other than me? Because I'm the only one perfect. I'm the only one righteous in here. Is that what he's saying? No. Who is righteous in here? We all are. Because we're not saved by our own righteousness, we're saved by his righteousness. For salvation is not by works that any man should boast, in that it is not of yourselves, but it is the gift of God. We're not saved by our own works. We're not saved by our own righteousness. We are saved by a righteousness outside of ourselves. Jesus said to the Pharisees, he said to them, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, you'll not make it into heaven they went, (gasps) because in their eyes, who was more righteous than the Pharisees? There was nobody more righteous than the Pharisees. So if they couldn't make it, then I'm certainly a little peon. I'm not going to make it. And yet we see that Jesus continually held him up himself up as the righteous one by which we put our faith and trust in. And it is his righteousness that becomes our righteousness, a position that is rightfully ours because of our position in him and what he did on the cross for us. And he says, we are then those who are the righteous ones who he is going to use, who will not only walk in righteousness, but we will witness of the righteousness of Jesus for it is his righteousness that makes us righteous and guarantees and seals our eternal destiny. Notice he said not only righteous people, but he says little ones. And a lot of people would have a tendency to take a look at it and think, well, he's talking about children. But in this text, he's not talking about children. Because this is Jesus, one of his most favorite descriptions of his disciples. They're little ones. He called us sheep as well. A term of endearment. Um, by the way, off the top of my head, Larry Holmes, I, I, it would, I saw something on Facebook where he has two goats and he was playing with them in his backyard. And I think about sheep and goats and who plays with goats? I don't know. Larry Holmes. But anyway, <laughs> let's get back onto to the thing here. All right, just forget I ever said that. This is a term of endearment because you see in the text that he describes the little ones as disciples. And here I think he's seeing some sort of progression. He says the apostles, the prophets, the righteous ones, which are all disciples, and then the little ones, those who are the ones who are my disciples, those who follow me on a day-to-day basis. Now here's a broad application of what I think this means. Evangelism, being a missionary out on the mission field, is not a, an event thing. You know what I'm talking about? An event? We have a big event, and we all go out and we knock on doors for a couple of weeks, and then we go back home, and well, I've done that. But a disciple is one who follows day to day, minute by minute, moment by moment, in the footsteps of Jesus. And these little ones who are his disciples, it's kind of bringing it down now. Not just those who are on the platform or those who are out yelling in the streets or those who are out holding up the righteousness of Jesus as the model by which we are saved. But he's talking about the day-to-day lifestyle of the disciple who must live out their faith on a day-to-day basis, fishing for lost souls for Christ. I was talking to David New, brought a guest the other day. He's driving a bus for WSU, and he's connecting with students one-on-one. And he brought a young man to the men's Bible study. He wasn't, that's not an event thing. It's a day-to-day thing. It's, it's going to the grocery store and standing there and there at the corner at the, at the point where you're getting ready to pay and entering into a discussion. All of a sudden, without notice, there's a question that opens up the, the plan of salvation, an opportunity to witness to somebody. It's a day-to-day thing. And the objective, I think, that Jesus has is to make every one of us as his disciples doing evangelism every single moment of every single day as we follow Jesus. I've had people say, why don't we have a Tuesday night visitation where we all come up here and we go visit? My response is, are you doing that Monday through Saturday? It's a lifestyle thing. It's not an event thing. And evangelism and laboring in the harvest is a day-to-day lifestyle, constantly listening, Watching, being open to those opportunities where he is going to give you in the harvest field. Because you're in the harvest field. When you leave here, you're going out into a harvest field for the whosoever. So that this one and that one and this one and that one. And you're going to have divine moments where all of a sudden God's going to interrupt your next appointment or your next... Task and he's going to give you a moment in which there's going to be a conversation where he's going to use you to plant a seed or to water a seed that's already been planted so that eventually that will become a harvest. And so it's a moment by moment, day by day, discipleship following in the footsteps of Christ, using you wherever you are in whatever you're doing. That's the plan for the disciple. Not only is there a purpose, a prerequisite, and a plan, but there's a progression interesting in this progression, it's the same. We see it in verse 40, and we're going to Start there and go quickly through it. Verse forty, he says, "Whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me." See the progression: you receive you, receive me. If you receive me, you receive the Father. Notice verse forty-one. The first part of the sentence, uh, verses says, "The one who receives a prophet, because he is a prophet, will receive a prophet's reward." That's a progression. Notice second part of verse forty-one, and the one who receives a righteous person, because he is a righteous person, will receive a righteous person's reward. There again, there's a progression. You receive the righteous person because he's a righteous person, will receive a righteous reward. There again, Let's see the progression Verse 40 And whoever gives one of these little ones Here's the progression Even a cup of water They've welcomed you And they've given you something A cup of water Because he is my disciple There's the recognition Truly I say to you He will by no means lose his reward What's the progression here? There is a a divine natural progression As we're out into the harvest field Reaping souls for Christ Here's the progression. First of all, it takes a missionary who is responsive to the call. It takes a missionary who is responsive to the call. We have a tendency to think that missionaries are somebody that was sent overseas. We have a commissioning service, and we do that as Southern Baptists, and we have some 6,000 missionaries representing us all over the world, those we call missionaries. Well, let me tell you something. Those of us in here today and those of us who are maybe on vacation or somewhere else today who can't be here, if you're a member of Emmanuel Baptist Church, you are a missionary. If you're a disciple of Jesus, you're a missionary. You've been called like these 12, like these prophets, like these righteous people, like these disciples. He, he, he goes through the whole gamut. All of us who are disciples are called as missionaries out in the harvest field, on the mission field, representing Jesus, proclaiming, broadcasting, throwing out the seed of the gospel for the whosoevers so that this one and that one and this one and that one. You, we are all missionaries. Every single one of us is a missionary, and we need to stop seeing a missionary, someone that we send overseas to a remote part of the world. It always blows my mind of people who want to go somewhere to do missions, and they fail fail to realize that missions begins here, in this neighborhood, in my community, in my workplace, where I recreate and where I shop. This is my mission field and we as his disciples now have been called to be missionaries and as his missionaries we must be we must be responsive to the call of going out and a missionary is someone who's convicted of the gospel they've committed their life to Christ they have been called by God to go out and become fishers of men, and they are committed to doing that. And as these missionaries are responsive to the call, they then broadcast a message that is revealed. There is a revelation in this message. We are going out into the harvest field into the mission field in our workplace and where we recreate and where we live in our community and we are broadcasting out and we are just releasing the gospel everywhere we go we're entering into gospel conversations we're having a divine Encounter where God has been at work with people And all of a sudden there's a gospel presentation that takes place Or a gospel opportunity for us then to either sow a seed Or to water that seed Or to harvest what God has done And so we're out in the mission field And we're looking for gospel conversations to take place at random Don't be one of these I hate to use the word jerks, but they—they're—they're they're aggressive, they're—they're they're rude, they're—they're they're just looking for another notch on their gun. You know that kind of person. I remember I had a, an opportunity like that when I first became a pastor at a church years ago, decades ago. I think it was my second or third church, and there was a certain guy, individual. I hadn't been the pastor for a couple of weeks, and they wanted me to go with them, these two guys who always went every Monday night on visitation. They are always looking to lasso somebody in for the gospel, you know, and here's a guy, they've, they've witnessed to him 25,000 different times, and every time he said no, but I'm the new preacher in town, they know that he's going to say yes this time because I'm new. And we went and we sat in his small living room And we sat in there for about an hour They drilled him and they drilled him And they drilled. I felt sorry for the guy And finally he prayed a prayer You know why he prayed the prayer? To get him out of his house He finally said I give up, I'll pray He didn't say it like that But I saw it And when we got in the truck to leave To go toward the next visit You know what they said? Got him He'll be in church Sunday morning to be baptized Was he ever there? No those aren't gospel conversations that I'm talking about. <laughs> the objective is not just to get him to say a prayer. That doesn't save anyone, does it, Mark? No. Mark's about to come forward this morning to publicly declare his faith in Christ because he said a prayer and never was born again. And we wonder why we have 6,000 members and Five to 700 of us present on a given Sunday. 800. We need to be really careful that we're releasing or revealing the message. The apostle, the prophet, the righteous one, and the disciple, we all have a message. And the messenger, once the message is being broadcast, the messenger is recognized as someone sent by God. It's interesting. The missionary says yes. The message goes forth. And then the messenger is suddenly recognized they're from God. They're speaking truth. The Holy Spirit takes that message because faith comes by faith comes by hearing. Ask to be a messenger first. And the Spirit takes the message and he brings it to the ear and the understanding and the convincing and the convicting and the pulling. And once then the messenger is suddenly recognized as someone from God, notice then the master is then received. That's the progression. Then they trust Jesus as their savior. They recognize the prophet as coming from God. They recognize the righteous one as a righteous person. They recognize the little one as a disciple and they then receive the message. I wonder, I wonder the reason why maybe our witness isn't as powerful as it needs to be is because when we're casting or broadcasting the gospel, they don't really see Jesus in us. They don't recognize us as a messenger because of the lives that we're living. And then, lastly, notice that once they receive the master, the mission is realized, there's a reward they get saved that progression is here each and every time when you think about when you first came to faith in Christ let's just dust the cobwebs off probably of of many of us here because some of us has been decades there was a missionary who broadcast the message right you heard the message and recognized that that message is coming from a messenger that was sent by God And there was a convincing and a convicting that you needed Jesus as your Savior and you turned from your life of sin and turned to Jesus as your only means for salvation and you received Jesus as your Savior and once you did that, you were born again and the mission of redemption has now been complete for you. That happened for this one and that one and this one and that one and this one and that one. In this auditorium, for all of us, we have the same progression each and every time. So let me say to you, if there is a mission field in Wichita that is white for the harvest and there is no missionary that will go, meaning you, how will there be a harvest? And if you decide you, you will be responsible and be a missionary and you'll go, but you don't go with the message. You do a bunch of great kind things, but you never tell them it's Jesus who actually makes the difference, not all of this activity. You can give somebody a cup of water and and not not have any spiritual eternal impact on someone's life. And so you broadcast the message for the whoever's. So that this one and this one and this one and that one, and that, one and that one, and that one, and this one, and this one. So as they place their faith and trust in Christ, the mission of redemption. Has been complete. And I wonder how many today are waiting on you to be a responsible messenger. Lastly, notice that there's an assurance of a promise. You know, it's interesting in this text. He says in verse 41, they will receive a prophet's reward. They will receive a righteous person's reward. In verse 40, truly, amen, I say to you, I promise you, he will, he will receive. He will by no means lose his reward. You know, he's just told the disciples, you're going to go out into a battle zone, into a war zone. You're going to be persecuted and hunted down. There's going to be conflict and spiritual warfare. You're going to, you, you're going to die for the cause. And if you're not willing to take the cross, then you're not worthy of me. You've got to lose your life in order to save it. If you seek to save your life, you're going to lose it. I mean, you're sending them out. <laughs> that doesn't sound like a, a really good way to recruit anybody, does it? And here he tells them, You're going you're to be rejected, but they're also going to be the this one and that one and this one and that one that will receive it. And that is your reward. That's the reward. Because I'm convinced if you take a look at this text, as you see he will receive, he will receive, I say to you by no means, you will by no means you will lose your reward. What he's saying is that that, that the result that is happening here in the lives of others is, is a direct cause and result of the ministry and the missionary and the message that is going forth. And if we will go out and go forth, we don't know like the disciples are going to be saved and who's not going to be saved. But as we continue to sow the seed, this one and that one and this one and that one and this one and that one, let me tell you something. You're probably going to have more rejections than your receptions. But the receptions, I guarantee you, far outweigh the rejections. Let me ask you to turn as we close to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11 through 14. I want to go to two passages, Ephesians 1.11-14, and put your finger in 2 Timothy 4.1. What's the reward? Not just those who will place their faith in Christ, not just those who receive the messenger and the message and the master, but the eternal reward that comes to those who are faithful. Notice in Ephesians 1.11, in him we have obtained an inheritance is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. One of these days the trumpet of God is going to blow and those who have died in Christ will Rise from the grave, and those of us who remain will be caught up together with him in the clouds, and we will be forever with the Lord, and we will then finally inherit our inheritance found only through the redemptive, atoning death of Christ on the cross for those who have believed upon him. There is life after this life. Thursday afternoon. We had Mrs. Sena here. That was not the end of her life. She lives on in a better place. But one of these days, we, like her, if we physically die, will return for our bodies, and the graves will give up our bodies, and we will ascend to heaven. And those of us who are alive when Christ returns, we will ascend with them. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your snake? There is an inheritance that is ours, sealed and guaranteed by the atoning death of Christ and his resurrection from the grave and by the seal of the Holy Spirit that resides in our hearts that we receive once we were born again. He placed a permanent residence in us that guarantees our inheritance. And he then becomes the witness that we are children of God. And what a great, great Great, great, heavenly reward we will receive for having placed our faith and trust in Christ. In the meantime, how do we live? Second Timothy 4, beginning with verse 1, he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ, who is the judge, the living, and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, Emmanuel, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound doctrine, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers who suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wonder often to miss. But as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I, the Apostle Paul, your example already I'm being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. However, not only to me, but also to all who loved is what? One of these days, you and I will meet Jesus face to face, and we'll give an account of our lives. Those of us in Christ, we won't be condemned, but we're still going to answer to him, for judgment begins in the house of God. And he's going to say, what have you done with what I've entrusted to you? And you're going to try to say, you know, I haven't been given much, so therefore I shouldn't be held accountable for much. And he's going to say, there's no excuse for that. Because remember the ones that had talents? One had five, one had four, one had two, one had one. The guy only had one, so Well, I buried it. You may think you only have one, one thing, but you're going to be held accountable for that one thing. And I hope and pray that as you stand before the Lord... You'll be able to hear him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You have fought a good fight. You have run a good race. You have finished your course. There's a reward for faithfulness. And God is calling us all to be faithful. We are missionaries who need the answer to the call. We're missionaries. We've been sent out of the harvest that is ripe and ready for the reaping. Where do you go? Let's pray.